Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Galatians and chapter number two in the book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can turn in that Bible in the back portion to page 148, and you would find yourself at Galatians 2. Now, I know that for many of us, we have one hour less of sleep than we might normally have. But despite that, I want to start with a question today, and that question is this. Where were you in 1977? Think about that. Where were you in 1977? Now, some of you are saying, I wasn't born in 1977, so I understand that. But you'll know what I'm talking about. It was in 1977 that the very first Star Wars movie came out. Amazing, isn't it? And then three years later, in 1980, the second movie, The Empire Strikes Back, came out. And then three years after that, the third movie came out in 1983, The Return of the Jedi. And it would be some decade and a half later before any more of the series came out. I can remember those first movies that came out and how intriguing and captivating and exciting they were. And now there's a whole new generation learning about them. Uh, Aiden, my six-year-old grandson, is very much into the Star Wars thing and Jedi Knights and all of that. And I remember it was a few years back where they chose to release that original trilogy of movies in a set of DVDs. And their advertising line with that was this, see it again for the first time. And in some ways, that spirit reminds me of the series that we're involved in right now when we're looking at our great salvation. And we've been looking at the fact that as sunlight goes through a prism and it refracts colors that tell us the elements that make up light, so our great salvation, when it goes through the lens of Scripture, refracts out elements and concepts of salvation. And those elements would include things like redemption and propitiation and reconciliation and justification and imputation. Now, for some of us, those elements are very, very new. We maybe haven't ever heard them broken out before. For some of us, we have seen them before. And if you have, I just want you to think about approaching this little series along the spirit of see it again for the first time. Because the things and the elements we're looking at in our great salvation are truly intriguing and captivating and exciting. In fact, I'm very, very excited about what we're going to cover today. We've so far looked at redemption. Remember that? We see God as the divine emancipator where He purchases out of the slave market of sin. How did he do that? He purchased us through the cross. And then we've looked at propitiation when we see God as the divine provider, and he provides the full satisfaction required of God's wrath that was demanded by his holiness and his righteousness. And how did he do that? He did that through the cross. And then we've looked at reconciliation when we see God as the divine restorer, and he responded to our estrangement and alienation and separation from him. 
and he moves to remove the hostility that comes from our rebellion and restore the harmony of a relationship with the living God. And how did he do that? He did that through the cross. And so today we come to another element of our great salvation, and this is the element of justification. And here we're going to see today God the divine arbiter. And you say, what do you mean by arbiter? Well, we're going to define that as we go through our morning. But we have our Bibles open to Galatians chapter 2, and what I want to do this morning is read as we begin from verse 16. Now, verse 16, just so you know, is the only verse in all of the New Testament where the words for justification and justify occur three times in one verse. This is the only place it happens. So notice what Paul writes in verse 16. You can follow along in your Bible as I read this. He writes, nevertheless, knowing that a man, a person, is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. There is an age-old question that was uttered way back in around 2000 B.C. by a guy named Job. And you can see that in Job 9.2. And here's the question. How can a man be righteous before God? And that question gets at the very heart of what justification is all about. And I want to remind you that this subject matter of justification was at the center of the Great Reformation. And so we're going to go back over some of the passages that fed the Great Reformation. What does it mean to be justified? Now, the plan of attack that we have for today as we look at justification involves four things. First of all, we're going to look at the common idea of what it means to justify. We will hear that word actually used in our culture. The second thing we want to look at is the biblical idea of what it means to justify. And then the third thing we're going to look at is the anatomy of justification. We're going to take it apart and look at some of the elements of it. And then we're going to conclude with the reality of justification. And I want you to know that the reality of justification is awesome. In fact, just anticipating it uh, gives me goosebumps. So we're going to look at the common idea of what it means to justify, the biblical idea the anatomy of justification, and then we're going to celebrate the reality of justification as we close today. So let's begin by looking at the common idea. When you're at school or you're at your job, you might hear the word justify. How would you hear that? What context would it be in? And I want you to give me some feedback. If you're going to hear the word outside of a church context, a theology context, if you're going to hear the word justify, where might you hear it? And how would it be used? Somebody tell me. Okay, in court. That's exactly right. What other ways might you hear that term, justify? When you're trying to reconcile with someone, yeah. How about the idea of... uh, justifying your text in word processing, right? 
Or here's another way that we might hear justify. Someone wanted to justify their actions. How about that? Or how about the little phrase that we've all heard over the years? The end does not always justify the means, right? All those are ways that we may hear that word. And let's just understand the English concept for a moment. If you're going to look it up in an English dictionary, one meaning of the word justify is to properly align or space. And that's this word processing idea where we justify the words to the right or we justify the words to the left. And when we do that, we want them to be straight, right, from top to bottom. And then there's another basic definition in English of to justify, and that means to vindicate as warranted or as useful. And we may hear the word used in this way, oh, he just tried to justify his rude behavior to the teacher. You know, he wanted to vindicate as warranted what he did when he was rude. There was a reason why he did that. Or you might hear it used in this way, that cat justifies its existence by catching mice. You know, it vindicates itself as being useful because it catches mice. Now, that's the English idea, the common idea that we have. And there's some parallels in the biblical idea with that. There's some parallels behind the idea of vindicating. There's some parallels behind the idea of lining up straight from top to bottom But as we transition into looking at the biblical idea, I want you to understand this. There are some heavily distinct elements in the biblical idea of justification compared to the common idea in our day. So let's begin by looking at the biblical idea of justification by looking at the main verb. And the main verb is the verb dikaio in the original language. It's D-I-K-A-I-O. O-O with a long mark over the second O. D-K-I-A-O. And it means to pronounce righteous. It can also mean the idea of to vindicate as right. But the primary meaning of the word, the core meaning, is to pronounce righteous. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and chapter number 16. And what we see here is a non-salvation context we see the use of the word dikai-a-o used in a non-salvation environment. Now look at Luke 16, verse 14. It says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, talking about what Jesus was teaching, and they were scoffing at him. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, verse 15, you are those who dikai-a-o, who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your heart. So let's take the core meaning of the word and we'll just translate it in here. You are those who declare yourselves righteous in the sight of men, but God knows your heart. You see, that's the core idea of the word, to declare or pronounce yourself as righteous. By the way, this is a legal term. Dikai-a-o is a legal term. It was used of making a legal declaration. It was used of pronouncing a formal ruling. 
And in order for us to get a good handle on the biblical idea, I want to give you a definition of justification. And here is the definition of justification. Justification is a judicial pronouncement of God by which a sinner is declared righteous on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. That's what justification means biblically. It is a judicial pronouncement of God by which a sinner is declared righteous on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. Now, when I was growing up over the years, and I, I was in and out of several different churches, I don't know where I first heard it, but I heard this little sort of definition that you can have in English that's a playoff of the word justification. And it would say this, what is justification? Well, justification means just as if I never sinned. How many people have ever heard that definition? Yeah, quite a few of you have. Just as if I never sinned, you know, like I've been pardoned. But I want you to understand this, biblically, justification is way more than just as if I never sinned. If you can imagine that I committed robbery, and I was convicted of committing robbery, and later on I was pardoned, my slate was wiped clean, even in that case, in one sense, in one sense I'm still a criminal, I'm just a pardoned criminal. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Uh, most of you don't know this, um, but my right hand here, I haven't washed it for a week, and I've been busily shaking many of your hands as you came in, right? And some of you are thinking, yuck, he hasn't washed his hand for a week, and I was shaking. Listen, I, I'm really just kidding there. I, I, I haven't done that. But then again, I have been shaking hands with a lot of you, and I don't know whether you were washing your hands or not. But what I want you to do for this illustration, just imagine that indeed my, my right hand here that I'm holding up is truly dirty. And I want you to imagine that this hand is symbolic of myself. This really is me here. And as I trust Christ, part of what God does for me is He cleanses me. He cleanses my hand. You think, well, isn't that what justification is? Oh, no. It's far more than that. It's far more than having a hand that's been cleansed. The idea of justification is, is that when God now looks at my life as I take this white cloth and put it over my hand, this is what He sees. And the white cloth stands for the righteousness of God. That's really what justification means it means that when we are declared righteous, what God sees when he looks at you and me is he sees the very righteousness of Christ. In Philippians 3.9, it says this, that our, we have a righteousness that's not our own, derived from the law, but we have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God. That's what's now on our life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Do you see the idea? When you have 
justification, we have now a totally new legal standing before God. It's way more than some neutral position. When he looks at your life and my life, because we've been declared righteous, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Now, that just leads us to the next thing we want to look at, which is the anatomy of justification. We want to take it apart. We want to see parts of what puts the whole concept together. And in order to do that, we need to turn to the book of justification in the New Testament, which is the book of Romans. So turn with me to Romans and chapter number 3. And Romans is all about the concept of justification. And I want you to see again in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, what our predicament was apart from Christ. Verse 10 says, there is none righteous, not even one. You want to talk about the righteousness that we need, none of us measures up, no one measures up. In fact, the situation is so dire, if you look down in verse 19, he says, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, it really ends up condemning us, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Listen, when it comes to what we need in terms of righteousness, we've got no defense. There's not even any debating about it. We are in a judicial dilemma apart from Christ. And what's the reason why? Well, look at verse 20. Because by the works of the law, doing good things and obeying the law, no flesh will be justified, declared righteous in his sight. That's a problem. It's saying we cannot earn the legal declaration of righteousness. We cannot do it. In fact, in verse um, verse 23, notice what it goes on to say there. It says, we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. I mean, we're just here. We're, we, we've come up totally short. And there's no defense, there's no debate about it. And not only that, we earn something because of that. Romans 6.23 says we've earned death. If you were back in the, you know, the early 70s, you might hear someone in California go, whoa, that's heavy, dude. <laughs> and it's true. That's our dire situation. But I want you to see that there's good news. It begins in verse 24. Being justified, declared righteous as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Now, do you notice in those verses there the intertwining of some of these elements of salvation? It mentions justification. It mentions redemption. It mentions propitiation. It's because they're not standalone elements, but taken together, you see, they make up our great salvation. And the good news is that we can be declared righteous as a gift by His grace. And so what I want to do as we look at justification is we're going to break it down a little bit, all right? So first of all, we are justified by God. Now this becomes vitally critical. 
We are declared righteous by God. Romans 8, 3 says that God is the one who justifies. He is the one who declares righteous. He is the divine arbiter. And you say, what's an arbiter? An arbiter is one who is empowered to judge. An arbiter is one who is empowered to pronounce a formal legal opinion. An arbiter is one who is empowered to give a judicial ruling. And we go back to our definition of justification. It is a judicial pronouncement of God by which a sinner is declared righteous on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. How are we to understand justification? Well, we are first justified by God. And we're going to see later when we, when we look at the reality of this, that's awesome. Secondly, we are justified, declared righteous by grace. You see that right there in verse 24 of Romans 3, being justified, declared righteous as a gift, as it says in the New American Standard, freely, as it says in the NIV in the, in the New King James, by His grace. We are declared righteous as a gift or freely by His grace. What is grace? Well, grace in the Bible simply communicates unmerited favor. It means that we didn't deserve it. We did not deserve it. We are declared righteous by grace. And that is, as it says in verse 24, as a gift, or as some of the translations say, freely. That little word that's translated as a gift or freely is the word dorion in the original, D-O-R-E-A-N. Dorion means freely or undeservedly or amazingly without reason. Dorion is used in John 15, 25, when Jesus says, they hated me, Dorion. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a reason. And that's the way we are declared righteous. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. In fact, it was without a reason. It wasn't because I was so wonderful. It wasn't because you were so wonderful. It was unmerited. It was unearned. It was without reason. It was only because he loved you that he did it. So how are we, we justified? We're justified by God. We are justified by grace. And then third, we are justified, declared righteous by faith. And this became the key element, by the way, of the Reformation. Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 28. He says, for we maintain that a man, a person, is justified, declared righteous legally by faith apart from works of the law. No one is the thrust here. 
is justified by works of the law. We are declared righteous by faith. And if you know the story of the Reformation, you'll know that one of the cries of the Reformation was justification by faith alone. By faith alone. And you say, well, why did they add the word alone? Well, you have to understand that in that day, the organized church said that we are justified, declared righteous by faith, yes, but also by works. The church of the day taught that we are declared righteous, justified by faith, plus by works. But what does the Bible really say? I want us to go back to that verse that we read at the very beginning. Remember the only one that mentions um, justification three times, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, where three times it appears. And what I want you to notice, these are the passages that fueled the Reformation because they're so clear. And I want you to notice in, in Galatians 2.16, I want you to notice again the repetition that is here. Nevertheless, knowing that a man, a person, is not justified, not declared righteous by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified, declared righteous by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law... No flesh, no one will be declared righteous. Do you see the thrust? We are justified, declared righteous by faith alone, not faith plus the good things that we do. Turn with me a little bit to the right, several books to the right, to the book of Titus and uh, chapter number 3. And in Titus 3, uh, we see this same thing being emphasized, Titus 3, verses 5 to 7. It says that God saved us, notice how clear this is, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now notice verse 7, so that... Being justified, declared righteous by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, it's important we understand this because there's a lot of misunderstanding that goes on in the Christian world about faith. Faith is not magical. There's nothing magical about faith. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. For example, let's say that I know an airline pilot this airline pilot doesn't take care of himself. He often is up all night. He gets blind drunk every single night. But I decide I'm going to have faith in him to fly me someplace. On the other hand, let's think about another pilot that I may know, and I know that he takes care of himself. He always gets all of his rest. He's never getting bombed out of his mind, and he's going to fly me, and I have faith in him. There's nothing magical in the faith. It's the trust that you put in something. It's all about the object of the faith. We are justified, declared righteous by God, by grace, by faith, and then fourth, we are justified, declared righteous 
by blood. Turn back with me to the book of Romans in chapter number 5 where it mentions this in verses 8 and 9. I don't know about you, but I find this stuff overwhelmingly captivating and exciting. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now notice verse 9, much more than having now been justified, declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. How are we declared righteous by blood? How did that come about? We're back to the cross again. How did God declare Bruce Alfred Hess righteous? And I'm talking about the one who was born in Montgomery, Alabama. I'm talking about the Bruce Alfred Hess who said and did and thought, and we could make a long list of those things. How did he declare Bruce Alfred Hess righteous? He did it by the blood of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that's worth getting excited about. That is worth getting excited about. Now, oftentimes people at this point are saying, wait a minute now, I'm a little confused about this. I don't quite understand this. You're saying that if I've trusted on Christ's death on the cross for me, that he pronounced me legally righteous with his righteousness. Yet, I know my own life. There are still things that I do and say and think that are not righteous. So how does all of that work? Well, even when we think and say and do things that are not righteous, it does not change the legal declaration of the divine arbiter. When he looks at us, even when we think and say and do things that are not righteous, what does he see? So I hold up my hand again with this cloth representing his righteousness. Here's what he sees. He sees the righteousness of Christ. See, a lot of people don't understand some of these biblical terms. Do you know that justification in the Bible is a declaration that is made? There's another word. It's the word sanctification. And sanctification is not a declaration. It is a process, you see. Justification is a declaration that we are righteous. Sanctification is the process. This is what the Christian life is all about, where we go through the process of becoming, listen here, what we've already been declared to be. See, that part's sanctification, but this is justification. And so here's the idea. When you turn to Christ by faith, when you trust in his death on the cross, the divine arbiter declares us righteous with the righteousness of Christ. But I want you to see the last thing we need to look at today, and that is the reality of this. This is what gets me excited, the reality of our justification. Look at Romans chapter 5, and look at verse 1. It says, therefore, having been justified, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, now, just think about this. When you fail to live correctly, if you think you're standing before God is in jeopardy, what's going to happen when you fail to live correctly? You're going to start to have some anxiety because my standing before God could be in jeopardy. And in fact, if you, if you live correctly long enough, then you're going to start to fear what? Some rejection and possibly some judgment. In fact, you could become a nervous wreck. We don't have to be because the divine arbiter, he declared us righteous. Look at, at, at verse 2. He says, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. It's an incredible reality. We could just rejoice in all of this. And by the way, this picks up full steam in Romans chapter 8. I want to go over to Romans chapter 8 for a few moments because the whole idea of the reality of justification just gets to be almost an avalanche of incredible truth. And in Romans chapter 8, what you have in the last part of the chapter is a whole series of arresting questions that are thrown out. And I want you to look at verse 30 of Romans 8. It says, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also, what does it say? Justify. He also declared them righteous. And these whom he declared righteous, he also glorified. Then notice verse 31. Here's the first question then. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If the sovereign ruler of the universe ruled in my favor and declared his declaration that he sees me as righteous, who can be against us if God is for us? By the way, it would be good to put your own name in there. If God is for Bruce, who can be against me? (laughs) And the questions get even more powerful if you look down at verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who declares righteous. I mean, who is going to overrule the sovereign declaration of the king of the universe? (laughs) Nobody. Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who's going to condemn you when you've been declared righteous by the king of the universe, the divine arbiter? Is God going to contemn one that he has legally declared to be righteous? And what if someone wants to get, get to us? What do they have to go through? They have to go through Christ. He's actually interceding for us, representing us. Think about that for a moment. If someone wants to condemn you, they got to go through him. <laughs> they got to get past Christ Jesus in order to condemn you. And if you want to know what he's like, just go to Revelation chapter 19. And look at what the resurrected Christ is really like. they got to get past him in order to condemn you. And that ain't happening. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Well, none of the difficulties of life can ever do that. He has declared us righteous. And by the way, Paul experienced what he was talking about in verse 35. He's not just giving theory there. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 38, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things presently, nor things that are going to come in the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, what he's saying is this, when God has declared us righteous, time is irrelevant. God's declarations go beyond time. He's saying there are no spiritual foes who can undo what God has done when he has declared us righteous. He's saying that there are no earthly powers that can stand up and refute God's declarations. There's no cosmic alien forces out there that are going to overrule what God has declared. There is nothing in any of the unknown parts of the universe. There's nothing that resides in heaven or hell or anywhere that can nullify the legal pronouncement of God whereby we are declared righteous. What, what does this all mean? Well, it means, men and women, that when we make the life decision to trust in the work of Christ on the cross, that we are declared by God himself to be righteous And when he sees you or he sees me, as I hold up my hand again with a cloth, this is what he sees. The righteousness of Christ. You know, when when I'm teaching through this as we have today, I really think, what more is there to say? You know, when I look fully in the face of this, really what I want to say to you is I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to see these things again for the first time. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And what I want to do today is... um, it's a little bit of a, a detour, but I don't, I don't want to end the normal way we would end. As we would normally talk about some life application, and um, we would normally, we had a plan to f- finish with a song, but I just want to close by praying and just have us, you know, leave today in a spirit of worship. So let's, let's just pray together. Father, really, what more can we say? I mean, we are humbled when we look at the fact that by grace and without really any reason, and by faith, and by your blood, you, when we trusted in you, declared us to be righteous. 
And all we can say is we are grateful for that. We thank you. And it makes us, it motivates us to want to present our life to you as a living sacrifice of gratitude. And as Paul says in Romans 12, that is our spiritual service of worship, which really ultimately means it's the only reasonable thing we can do in light of the declaration that you have made for us. And we would pray that we would remember as we go through our week the importance of, by your power, by the energizing of the Holy Spirit, we would pray that we would become more of what we've already been declared to be. And that is to be righteous with the righteousness of Christ. Thank you for the great privilege of knowing the living God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you again for coming today. Just pray you would leave worshipfully thanking him for all that he's done for you. You have a great week.